Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I talk to Alex Dono, who is the host of the Locked On Canes podcast, a podcast focusing on Miami Hurricanes athletics. He is also a local radio host in Miami. We talked to Alex about the state of the Miami football program. Why have we been seeing a lot of struggles early on in this season? They've spent a lot of money on Mario Cristobal and his coaching staff. Why haven't we seen a media success? Are they rebuilding? How long is this rebuild going to take? We also talk about the challenges of building a program in a large city that is not a typical college town. Plus, a little bit of Dolphins talk. Are the Dolphins a legit Super Bowl contender? We talk about everything. We talk about ACC football. A lot of college football talk, a little bit Miami Dolphins talk towards the end. He also gives us a little bit of a preview of the World Cup, which teams have a real legit shot of winning. All of that and a lot more with Alex Dono coming up right now. All right, joining me is Alex Dono, who is the uh, host of the Locked On Canes podcast, a podcast about Miami Hurricanes athletics. He also does local radio in Miami. And Alex, we're going to talk about something that you probably don't want to talk about, the frustrations with the Miami Hurricanes football team this year. First-year head coach Mario Cristobal, a weak ACC, thought maybe they could potentially compete for an ACC title, maybe. So far, they're 5-6 and six this season, gotten blown out a few times by Duke, Florida State, and Clemson. What's going on with this football team? Why are we having so much struggles early on? Yeah, there are a lot of layers to it. Um, I was surprised as anyone else out there. I thought Miami, you know, heading into the season would at least be competitive to win the Coastal Division, which is never good. I mean, the, the Atlantic Division on the other side of the ACC sometimes is really good, and they're pretty good this year. The Coastal's always bad. So I, I thought Miami could compete for that. Uh, far from it. Um, you know, basically, I, I heard it described, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna steal this, but it's not really stealing if I credit him. I'm gonna credit another uh, Hurricanes uh, content creator for this term because I think it perfectly describes the situation for the last couple months of the season where Mario Cristobal I think is kind of punting on this season where I, I think once Miami got uh, shockingly beaten by Middle Tennessee, I think that was the wake up call where he realized. A lot of these players on this roster don't really fit our style. You know, they were used to the way things were. Some of these guys maybe don't want to play this style or they can't fit this style. So we're going to, you know, kind of kind of implement our systems rather than tailoring our systems to what these guys were doing last year. And it's it's disappointing. I think it's reality, right? Because something people ask me about this all the time. They're like, well, you know, how come uh, how come first year coaches like Lincoln Riley can go right to uh, to USC and they get better. They don't skip a beat or Brian Kelly to LSU. But how come you saying to me, you're making a bunch of excuses for this first year head coach? Uh, you can call it excuses if you want to. I'm calling it like I see it. I, I think in this case, um, every situation is different. And, you know, Cristobal being on a 10-year contract, that's what he signed at Miami. And being, you know, a Miami guy, an alumnus, a former national championship player, uh, I, I think he wants to tear this thing apart from the foundations and try and build it the way close enough to the way it was when he played in it. So 
I think that's a lot of what's happening this year is I think that maybe there could have been more of an effort to win a couple more games this year by, you know, maybe compromising some of the systems and techniques a little bit more to your personnel. They've been a little bit pigheaded on that. A lot of people are frustrated with it. Um, so I, I think he won't mind if a lot of players hit the transfer portal. We've already seen four confirmed, several other rumored. I think by the end of the day, there's going to be maybe 20 plus current Miami players who hit the transfer portal to look for another place to play, meaning there's going to be about 20 that come in and a big recruiting class coming in. Uh, so that, that that's the big picture rub, a uh, small picture, um, the Hurricanes tend to find different ways to shoot themselves in the foot. That's been the story on a lot of their losses. Um, you know, big passing plays given up, too many penalties committed, certain games when, you know, Tyler Van Dyke, their starting quarterback, hasn't been healthy for the last, you know, month or so. And uh, they've either gone with redshirt freshman Jake Garcia, who's a human interception machine this year. He looks like he's regressed a little bit or true freshman Jakari Brown, who started against Clemson, didn't go so well for him, but he did do a really good job in the victory over Georgia Tech the week prior. So I think that there's something to build around with Brown, but he's just so raw. He's a really talented runner, not much of a passer yet. He's still working on a lot of that. And uh, yeah, there's not been a whole lot of depth. Uh, they've had three offensive line starters that have been missing throughout most of the season. They haven't really had the depth to make up for that. Uh, you know, they've had uh, certain linebackers and defensive backs who have struggled to find consistency and missed tackles. And so, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to try and replace some of these players with, you know, guys who really want to be in Miami and work hard and, and hope that they can build this thing back up from the ground up because it's, it's been pretty bad down here throughout the year. I'm not going to lie. You made a really interesting point there when you pointed out the 10 year contract. Do you think that there would be more of a pressure on this coaching staff to win right away if it was like if Cristobal was on a five year contract versus him being on a 10 year contract? Because we're kind of seeing that around the country so far this year where I mean, a lot of a lot of big money was thrown around last year in the offseason. Uh, Lincoln Riley, USC. Uh, Brian Kelly at LSU. Now those first year hires have really kind of panned out and both of them are borderline playoff teams right now. But then you saw Mel Tucker at Michigan state get a huge extension. Um, it wasn't last off season, but a few years ago, Jimbo Fisher got a huge contract and they're kind of the, those coaches are in a leverage situation right now where it's like, it's going to cost like 80 something or 90 something million to buy out Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, versus if he had two years left on his contract, they would he would have been fired like week two or something. So do you think that Cristobal and the staff is willing to like rebuild this and maybe do it the way that they want to do it because they have that uh you know security and protection of you know just it's it's just not feasible for Miami to buy them out in year three if things are still kind of building. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. And I, I think that that was, and I'm, I'm not speaking for him. I'm, I'm speaking from uh, just sort of my suspicion about the situation is I, I think, I think when he took the job and he did his due diligence first, right? Because, you know, he left, um, 
he left obviously a, a good situation in Oregon with the, it's a very talented football team. And, and obviously Dan Lanning is doing an incredible job. You could argue he's doing a better job with Cristobal's players than Cristobal ever did, but he definitely left Oregon stocked with talent. Right. And, and when he made the decision to leave a good financial situation and a good roster situation to come home, um, I, I think he did that with the full understanding that it's it's going to take time to build this up. And I think that that was one of the conditions when when he took the job is like you have you have to understand that, a you need to invest heavily in this program. Right. Because financially, the administration is investing more dollars into Miami football and Miami athletics in general than they ever have before. And a lot of that is because Cristobal has has needed it and demanded it. And also, I, I think he made them understand this is going to take a big investment of time because I don't just want to put some Band-Aids on the wounds that are here. Uh, I want to just knock down some buildings and just rebuild them from scratch. I, I think that's what he's trying to do. And, and the 10-year contract comes into play. There's definitely a leverage situation there. Like you, you mentioned Jimbo Fisher, who's in year five, and, and th things are like, you know, completely uh, completely off the rails there at Texas A&M. Of course, that would be a Miami fan's worst nightmare right? Because we can tolerate, uh, you know, not being a good football team year one of a new regime, you can tolerate that. But if you're a bad football team, year five of a coaching regime, where it's like financially almost impossible to buy, that's the nightmare scenario, you hope it doesn't come to that. And obviously, I'm sure that would be Cristobal's worst nightmare as well. But the 10 year contract thing, there's a leverage aspect to it. But there's also, you know, uh, on the flip side of that kind of the job security aspect, knowing, I can really build this thing the way that I want to build it, which means tearing it down first. And they have no choice but to be patient with me while I do it. With all that being said, I've been kind of thinking about college football and college football programs. And Miami's kind of an interesting. Now, I don't know the whole dynamics of like how Miami's campus works and stuff like that, but building a program in you know a big city where there's a lot of other stuff going on and i'm not sure if it's like a place like you know they don't have their the hurricanes don't have their own football stadium no share it with the you know football that the dolphins and i've just been kind of wondering you know even though you're saying yeah rebuilding and you know tearing things down i still feel like it should be a little bit better than this because you are in the ACC. There isn't a lot of talent in that conference. You should still be, you know, you probably shouldn't be getting blown out by Duke in a, you know, Duke has a first year head coach and it almost yeah. makes the, it's a great point. It almost makes like the Cristobal situation look worse when Duke, you know, is seven and four this year, one of the better teams in the conference with a first year head coach. You know, you'd think that Duke coming into the season had less to work with in Miami so I guess I really don't know where I'm going that point with this, but <laughs> it just feels like, is there more like challenges of building a program you think in like a place that isn't actually like a college town? Uh, yeah. It, it, Cause a big part of the challenge is also, you know, things like game day revenue, things like filling up a stadium. Um, because I think all of that, it's not the end all be all, uh, but it, it certainly it certainly makes you more attractive in recruiting if, if you have a full stadium. It'd be nice to have a stadium on campus or closer to campus. Uh, Hard Rock Stadium, where they, like you mentioned, they share it with the Dolphins. The Dolphins own the stadium. 
Uh, it's it's one of the most high tech facilities in America. So that's a good thing, right? That, you know, players, when they come in, they know I'm playing at, you know, one of the probably top two or three nicest NFL stadiums in America, but it's, it's still not the same as far as that college atmosphere. And it's, it's challenging. Uh, there's, there's a few challenges that I can get into here. It's obviously, it's challenging to get fans if it's not a really big game, because, Hey, if, you know, not everyone in Miami, Florida is going to want to go to a college football game. If the team stinks, right. Saturday, I'll go to the beach instead. I'll go out to such and such trendy spot. I'll go out to Miami beach. I'll, I'll just sit home and not have to, you know, pay for the expensive parking and tickets out there. So you're competing for people's time. Um, there's also some challenges from an administrative standpoint where, you know, since you're not in a college town, um, you know, it, it, it can be it can be a little bit more difficult to keep your players from being distracted because there's obviously a lot more opportunities if you're not getting the right type of players. Like if you're recruiting players who are here more for, you know, just the vibes and for the city, then they can kind of get lost in it. Right. There, there's a lot of ways to, to get in trouble in Miami and, and, you know, you don't have small town campus cops kind of protecting you the way that they do in certain other college towns, right? It's, it's a big city. You're on your own. I mean, Miami and places like USC and UCLA are similar in that way. There's not a whole lot of big universities and big cities like this one. So I think that comes as a challenge as well that, you know, you, because if you do get a player who comes in, I, I've seen five-star players come in before. And I think part of the reason why some guys don't pan out is because they're just not fully in there's too many distractions there's too many things to do so i think i think that offers some challenges as well is part of that I, what's like the campus like for university of miami is it like a big campus is it in the city like kind of what's going because i've heard uh people kind of like in the pittsburgh area where that's like really a lot more in the city yeah i've and, been to that campus yeah it's it, it is it, with them with the miami campus it's um it's in actually a pretty ritzy um, area of Miami called Coral Gables, where it's, you know, it's probably, uh, depending on the traffic you hit, it's anywhere from like a 10-minute drive to a 25-minute drive from from downtown. But it's it's in like, it's in one of like the ritzier, more historic suburb areas. And it's it's a beautiful campus. Um, and they've done, you know, I, I went to school there, I uh, graduated 15 years ago, and, and they've made it a lot nicer since like, as soon as they got me out of there, they're like, hey, let's, uh, let's fix all the buildings and plant some new trees and stuff. It, it's a really nice campus. Uh, it's, it's a small student body. I think there's somewhere around like eight to 10,000 uh, undergrad. It's, it's the private university. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty large sprawling campus, but the student body is small. And so I think anytime you have a student body, it's maybe not as like involved of a, of a campus life as some of the big state schools around the country, just because there's not a whole lot of students there compared to some other schools. But uh, you know, the, the, the whole the whole campus experience is nice and, and the football facilities there, they've been pumping a lot into that. Uh, they finally within the last eight or nine years, they finally built uh, an indoor practice facility. They were one of like the last bigger programs to do that. Uh, and they're actually going to be renovating the indoor practice facility soon and adding some supposedly space age uh, type stuff to it. So uh the, the the campus life is solid and you're, you're yeah and, and they're you know you're, you're pretty close to a, a lot of the different things you're not you're not too far away from downtown from you know not too far away from miami beach coconut grove is another nice area it's it's it's, it's a well-located campus 
If Clemson wins out, do you think they deserve to be in the playoff? That's a great question. Um, I, it really depends on what else happens. Uh, I think they do only because like, listen, we know, obviously Michigan and Ohio state can't both win out because they're, they're playing each other coming up. Um, you know, LSU, I understand that the strength of schedule, but you know, they've got an extra loss. So if, if Clemson wins out, including winning the ACC, even if LSU wins out, Clemson's got a fewer loss and they've looked really impressive this year. Clemson, I will see what happens with TCU. Maybe Iowa state can play a little spoiler in that regard. I mean, I, I definitely, I know Georgia deserves to be in and they will be, and they look fantastic. And I, I think Ohio state's going to beat Michigan. So they should end up being in. So um, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that Clemson's as far down uh, as they are being nine and one and looking up at, at at least two teams that are eight and two on the season right now. And, and we'll, we'll see if uh, we'll see if uh, USC closes out uh, the season on the track that they're on. But I, I, I feel like if, if I've got to give you a, a one word answer, I feel like, yes, I feel like that they would deserve it if they went out. And also North Carolina, I, I know that they that they just got uh they just got upset. I don't really think they were taking that last game very seriously. That That's not going to be an easy out for them in the ACC championship game. But I do think North Carolina having another loss takes a little bit of luster away from that win if Clemson gets it. So we'll see. But I, I, I feel like Clemson, to me, they look like a playoff team. Iowa State played Clemson in the bowl game last year. And I got to really kind of watch DJ. And he's not very good. No. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. Yeah. He's not good at all. Like no, he's every time he dropped back to pass, it was like, yes, yeah. yes. Do that every yeah. play. Do yeah. not run the ball club. Said, and he, he's, re- he's just, he's, he's really big and really strong. Uh, but the more you're right, like if, if they're playing from behind and DJ's got to throw his way out of it, he's probably throwing right into coverage. And then it's, I just don't understand what's going on with the Clemson offense. Like the last two years, basically. Cause even, when they they brought in Cade Klubnick, the backup for like a few stretches, and it doesn't even seem like the offense has looked much different when he's gotten in. I have no idea if it's like a play calling thing, a talent thing. Um, maybe there's just weaknesses in those. Maybe those guys are just uh, over, you know, over recruited, I guess, or over like ranked in the recruiting rankings. Maybe that's it. I just I'm not sure what's happened to like this offense that was just really humming for like the previous like five six years before you know dj became the starter i think a lot of it has to do with dj that it's hard like when you're so spoiled to have had you know deshaun watson playing the way he was and then right to trevor lawrence who's you know one of the better college quarterbacks i I had ever i had ever watched um you know they've definitely been more run heavy i i to me i feel like what makes clemson so strong line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, especially on defense. And they're, they're just stacked. Yeah. Like, you know, when it was, when I was watching them against Miami uh, over the weekend, uh, you know, Jeremiah Trotter jr. On Clemson's defense, he was in on like every single play like that guy was everywhere. And he got so fired up. He did commit like a dumb uh, 15 yard penalty at one point. Uh, I think it was a rough thing. The passer where he just slammed the quarterback to the ground, but that dude, he, he was all over the field. And every time he made a tackle, you felt it. So I just, you know, they, they got a lot of talent, but you're right that I, I think the big Achilles heel for them is the quarterback. Uh, I think club Nick is, he's going to have a brighter future than DJ based on what I've seen. Uh, but yeah, as for right now, if, if they ride with DJ th- through the rest of the year and in the playoff, that, that could be their undoing.
I almost wonder too, if it's, I mean, the quarterbacks, they're clearly not as skilled as the previous two guys. It's very, very hard right. to be as skilled as those guys. But even if you just look around like the NFL, like, you know, you probably have a, I think I have like a few Clemson guys on like my fantasy football teams. They have just been chuck full of talent over the past yeah. decade from all of the receivers they've had, some of the running backs they've had. And I think they're, they're probably with the kind of weakness of the ACC. They're probably still going to be good enough with their defense and the talent that they can get where they can keep winning ACC title games. But as far as competing for championships, if they don't get better talent, I don't see a path where they can really, you know, compete for national championships like they had the previous, like, you know, five, six years. Well, another, another issue for them, and we'll, we'll see how long this is an issue. Um, they're, they're not embracing NIL the way a lot of the powerhouse programs are. Uh, they, they, they seem, and I don't know, I don't know how much of that is Dabo being so old school because he, he see, and he's got like a lot of these protocols in place. like when, when you're, when you're verbally committed to Clemson, um, they have like almost a zero tolerance policy for a verbal commit to take visits somewhere else. Like if you're, if you're verbally committed to Clemson, it's like, if you visit somewhere else, we're pulling your offer. And a lot of players don't like that, right? Because a lot, a lot of players, even if you're verbally committed, they want to continue going through the process and taking visits. So I, I think that that maybe turns off players. Now, a Clemson fan would probably tell you, hey, this is for the greater good because you're, you know, you're weeding out guys who aren't fully bought in. And, and that's fine. Maybe that'll work for them. But it also seems like they're, they're behind the game from an NIL standpoint. I don't know if that's because Dabo's so old school that maybe he's uh, that he's a lot more like restrictive and kind of tells the boosters, hey, don't bother. I want to do this my way, not your way. Or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't know much about their alumni base. Maybe they just haven't done a good job kind of organizing and setting collectives up. But that, that's definitely an area that if they don't get a little bit more behind that within the next year or two, you could be left behind. Because if you see, you know, what the schools in Texas are doing, and obviously Texas A&M is a dumpster fire right now, but there's plenty of money there, plenty of money with Texas. Uh, no matter how much Nick Saban wants to downplay it, Alabama's doing fine there. Florida's doing well there. Miami's been doing pretty well there. USC, uh, Auburn is becoming a huge player now Oregon. in the NIL game. Or yeah, Oregon. And so yeah, so I, I you know Clemson they they've been you know arguably one of the top two or three programs in the entire country for the last ten years. But if they don't embrace this thing, they could be left behind. That's something too. I think Dabo at one point several years ago was like when they start playing players i'll stop coaching and i don't know i think that definitely has something to play into it i'm not sure maybe he's just like you said they have to they have to catch up with the times or they're just going to be left behind uh let's transition to some other miami sports talk topics is it a lot easier like with some of these other teams struggling when the dolphins are playing really well is it is it a little bit less pressure? Like, does Cristobal, like, have a little bit less heat? Are you less worried about, like, what the Miami Heat are doing right now when the Dolphins, like, I don't know if it's, like, crazy to say, but they might, they could potentially get hot and just make a run to the Super Bowl? I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, I'm not really wired that way. I think a lot for a lot of people down here, yes. Like, um, you know, if we're if we're coming out of a weekend – where let's say, you know, hurricanes get embarrassed, the heat lose, you know, back to backs, which, you know, just, just happened over the weekend. 
but the Dolphins win for a lot of South Florida sports fans are like, you know what? I love the Dolphins so much that makes up the other stuff. I'm just kind of like, I'm not wired that way where it's like, well, I'm still, I'm still pissed about what happened to the Canes and what happened about the heat, but uh, good for the Dolphins. Yay. Uh, But it it definitely, that's definitely something down here. And it's especially something down here because um, the the Dolphins, they are, they are the first love of most South Florida football fans. It's the franchise that's been here the longest, you know, professional franchise, um, you know, they were, even though many of us, myself included, weren't alive when they had their 72 undefeated season, you hear so much about it. It's like one of the greatest chapters in the history of South Florida sports. And, you know, I did grow up during the Dan Marino era, which was really something to watch, uh, even though they didn't win Super Bowls during that time. It was just some of the most exciting offensive football. And so, you know, we always say this, the, the Dolphins not having won a championship in, uh, in several decades if that team gets a Super Bowl, it's going to be celebrated in a way that the Heat championships weren't, you know, the Marlins World Series weren't, and Kane's National Championships weren't, that uh, it's going to be the biggest parade you've ever seen because it's something that, you know, the Dolphin fans who were old enough to remember it are, are getting older now, and most Dolphin fans, you know, weren't around the last time they won a championship in 1973. So it's it's that's what this town has been starved for because – The franchise has been here since 66. They've got the deepest roots, and it's the first love for most people. I think the best chance that the Dan Marino Dolphins probably, I don't know, like year to year to year, what was going on in like the 80s with football. But I remember reading like the book about the 85 Bears and kind of like the point, and I mean, you could watch the documentaries about them, whatever, too. The thing that I always thought like would reading them, like the Dolphins, because I think the Dolphins lost in the champion the, uh, the game to go to the Super Bowl that year to the Patriots Patriots kind of upset them yeah. but the one loss that the 85 Bears had was to the Dolphins on that Monday night and if you read that at like Don Shula and Dan Marino just they just figured out how to beat the Bears and I don't know if the Bears would have been able to make the adjustments in that Super Bowl to beat them but it kind of, it's a little bit of a shame that they didn't get to win that um you, wait, do you, do you have anything to say about that? Or? No, I was just going to say that, like, uh, I, I think that's a great perspective on that. because And, like, that uh, – yeah, I was I was too young to remember that game, but I've seen, like, documentaries on it and stuff on that 85 Monday night game. That was such a big deal because, you know, that was, that was Chicago's only loss. And had they won that game, they'd potentially go undefeated. Uh, and, and they would have, you know, they, they, they would have, you know, been the second undefeated team that it was like the Dolphins. It's like, oh, since they beat the Bears, they protected their own undefeated record. So that, that was a big deal. I feel like this season with the Dolphins, they're definitely farther along than people thought, because basically this year with the hiring of an offensive coach with trading for Tyreek Hill, it was kind of like, all right, let's see what two has got. And let's see if he right. can be a guy that can, you know, be a franchise leader can be a guy that, you know, would maybe be getting paid uh, a contract. You could put the right things around him. What can you do? I don't think anyone expected for him to be almost an MVP candidate. And now it looks like the dolphins are going to make the playoffs. If the bills keep struggling, they could potentially win the division, potentially get at least one or two home playoff games. What could be the thing that would like hold this dolphins team back from winning a super bowl? getting to a Super Bowl and what would be the thing that would the reason for their success of actually getting there 
Yeah, what, what could hold them back is uh, their defense, especially their defensive secondary. Uh, they really need Byron Jones back healthy. Uh, it's been a weird thing because, you know, he's he, he and Xavier Howard at corner are just an amazing combination. But J- Jones hasn't played yet this year. He had surgery uh, at the end of last season, but then he was supposed to be good to go like before week one. And it's, it's like week 11, week 12 now, and he still hasn't been practicing. So it's, it's, it's a strange thing. If they could, if they could get him back, you know, around playoff time or before that, that could be a real big boost. Uh, Their their defense has been gashed at times. They've been very inconsistent. Uh, So that that's what could hold them back. I mean, especially if you were, obviously if you match up uh, in the playoffs against a team like Buffalo, especially if it's on the road, right. If you talk about having to play a postseason game there in, in January and that kind of weather and, you know, I know they've been struggling a bit. Uh, I think Josh Allen's playing through some injuries. If he's healthy by then, that's going to be tough. Any matchup with Kansas City would be really, really tough. Would be very interesting. Tyreek Hill going up against his former team, but it'd be very tough. Um, as far as the reasons why they could get there, it's all about their offense. Um, you know, you mentioned Tyreek Hill potentially being an MVP candidate. Uh, so's Tua. I mean, Tua is is looking like a bona fide MVP candidate right now uh and I, I think the big the big thing that the dolphins have working in their favor is the running game is finally clicking because for the first six or seven weeks of the season it wasn't they weren't getting consistent running back performances um chase edmonds who who ended up getting traded was just not was struggling it just wasn't a fit in the offense uh they kind of figured out that raheem mostert was sort of the better running back one and so they started to get it clicking and then they traded for Jeff Wilson Jr. from San Francisco, who's you know former teammate of Mostert's and played for Mike McDaniel when he was in San Francisco. And Wilson has actually been better than Mostert the last couple of weeks. And, and the running back tandem's really been working. Uh, and the offensive line's getting healthy. So everything looks good on the Dolphins' offense right now. Can they face adversity? Sure. Uh, if like if something happens to Tua, I think they're in big trouble because the drop off to Teddy Bridgewater has looked pretty steep this year when he's had to play. So, you know, if, if they're going to make a run, it's going to be because they finally found balance with the running game and the passing game on offense. Now we're really going to take a shift here. Who, who do you think are the, I don't know anything about soccer in the world cup. Who are the biggest threats to win the world cup this year? Well, prior to like six or seven hours ago, I would have said Argentina and the, fa- the fact that they lost to Saudi Arabia this morning, which has to be one of the biggest upsets of all time, like on the international saves. I, I, I didn't, the game was on at like 5 a.m. Eastern, so I didn't watch it. I woke up to like Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, so they, they can still bounce back. It wasn't a direct elimination game, but I definitely would have said Argentina um you know brazil uh is looks like a great team right now france is still kind of in the tail end of their golden generation and and england uh looks really really good and they had a a very good opener against iran which is not you know not not a pushover and england won the game six two they looked really good you know i don't i don't think team usa is quite there yet i think they can get out of the group uh, although their draw with Wales was a little disappointing because I, I thought they should have won that game and could have won that game. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm also not, I'm not even sleeping on like not one of the favorites in the tournament, but I think Canada could have a, a nice run if they can get out of the group stage. But uh, I, I, I would guess probably, probably Brazil, France, or England probably look the strongest to me and maybe Argentina, if they can get their, their crap together, because I don't know what the heck happened to them this morning. 
All right, I'm going to go ahead and make my futures bets. Alex, do you want to <laughs> do you want to tell us where we can uh, find all of your content, and then we'll head out of here. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, you can find me at Locked On Canes. Uh, you know, we try to we try to keep it somewhat objective. You know, I talk about the long term future of the Hurricanes program. Like, oh, you're making excuses. Hey, listen, we we try to be objective. Uh, so you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Canes. Uh, search Locked On Canes audio. YouTube. You can find us on every podcast platform. Uh, I do uh, on on most Mondays. I do a uh, a Dolphins and NFL show with Troy Stratford, who's a former Miami Dolphins player. That streams on the Five Reasons Sports YouTube channel. And every now and then, you can hear me on uh, five sixty WQAM uh, Sports Radio in Miami. Perfect. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast today. Thanks again to Alex Dono for joining us. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. And as always, I will see you sometime next week. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving wherever you are. And as always, I will see you next time.